Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are Kate Bealey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor, Personal Finance Writer Emma Ajimang and Special Guest Michelle McGrade, Chief Investment Officer at TD Direct Investing. Like the rest of the nation, you're probably still digesting the results of the referendum that the UK will leave the European Union and the uncertainties and risks that lie ahead, especially for investors. Markets and sterling have been plummeting and it is likely that there will be a great deal of turmoil in the months ahead as the UK negotiates its position of Europe and our economic prospects remain very uncertain. Michelle, markets are all over the place. What should investors, in particular people saving over the long term for goals like retirement, do? Okay, so actually what they should be doing right this minute today, they should really just sit on the sidelines and watch what is happening. Do not do anything and most importantly, do not panic and sell because there's a lot of noise in the market right now. So it's very important that they do that. The second thing that they must do is they must continue to think of their portfolio for the long term. Because what is really important here is that the world isn't going to end. You know, the the UK is the fifth largest economy in the world. Companies here are strong and um, they've they've got huge potential. Also, now that we have left or are leaving the European Union, it's going to take some time. And it's probably going to take roughly two years because that's what they're saying. Article 50, the mechanism for which we can leave the union will take about two years to invoke and so actually once the dust settles down it will be uh, business as usual for the world. Okay perhaps no immediate impact and and, and a a process um, before this happens but that said what would you say are the biggest risks for investors in the months ahead? Okay so the interesting thing I think is um, to put this into context is the UK market is only down 4 or 5% at the moment. So we're, we're not even back to February lows. Uh, sterling has weakened, but again, not back to February lows. So some of this referendum risk has already been priced into markets. But looking forward, uh, what people should worry about a little bit, I think, is, is probably Europe, because... But the unintended consequence of what has happened is that uh, the countries within the European Union, the other countries within the European Union, will start to say, well, what, what should we be doing? So the currency and um, uncertainty is, is going to move from us and it's going to move over in, into Europe. But I think that's a, an area probably to be less focused on. The other area that investors need to be aware of is that interest rates around the world, and definitely in the UK, are probably not going to rise, and and so, especially in the short term. So that's going to uh, affect customers, especially investors, and especially those ones who, who want income. So... Uh, they should um, be very uh, aware of that. Now, in, in terms of just general investing, I think that actually that there is little to fear, really. As I said, I think companies in the UK are in good shape, especially the uh, large-cap exporters with sterling a little bit weaker. That is, that is very, very good for them. 
I think that the UK itself, once the dust settles down and business goes back to, to usual, you know, co- companies are in good shape as well. And so, actually, I'm from an a UK equity point of view, I, I really don't have that many worries going forward. I mean, I've I've been listening to what other economists and have been saying, and a lot of economists have been saying with a Brexit that we might well be going into a recession. Now, I, I just actually don't see why that would happen because as of today, um, people in the UK have said that they don't want to be part of the economic union. But as of today, nothing else changes. So it's going to take, as I said earlier, it's going to take a while for these changes to uh, come into play. And, um, and what's going to be really important is the no- negotiation that's going to take place between ourselves and, and Europe and then the rest of the world. So actually, I think that the risks have been overdone somewhat. Okay, um, so perhaps the overall um, picture isn't bad, but obviously some areas of the market will suffer. What areas of the market do you think um, are going to be worst affected? And would you say that there are any assets or areas that investors should avoid? Yes, well, I, I've, I've already highlighted Europe as, as an area that I would probably specifically avoid. But um um, a lot of things have been priced in, you know. So, for example, the uh, UK small caps, and the, uh, which can be you know, represented by the FTSE 250, that has already underperformed the FTSE 100 this year. And it has fallen uh, quite substantially again today. And so, you know, there is a time when actually these prices become attractive again. So... I, I, you know, so so people will probably be saying, and the market is, is definitely saying that UK house builders are, are going to find it difficult going forward. They're saying that the UK domestic banks are going to find it difficult going forward, uh, and uh, London commercial property is going to find it difficult. But I, I think as of today, those those fears and risks have been priced in. So um, I would um, I, I I would be an advocate of a well-diversified portfolio uh, within the UK, including large caps and now including the small cap arena. And I would be looking overseas as well, probably more towards Asia, more towards the US and less towards Europe, as I said. Okay. Um, Now, you did hint at some things being priced in um, and, you know, obviously there's been falls. So um, would you single out any bargain opportunities for investors or is this a dangerous strategy? Okay, so one of the bargains that I haven't actually talked about, one of the things I think is is very interesting right now is uh, the corporate debt market. Corporate debt has, uh, has fallen uh, in price and is at attractive levels. And um, it is really pricing in default rates that uh, are just uh, of, a, of a disaster. And we're not having a disaster. Uh, and, and in fact, default rates in the U.S. even are at less than 1%. So pricing in default rates right now as a disaster level is, is kind of crazy. So for people who want income, uh, the corporate debt market, uh, the UK and globally, 
is, is a really interesting place to look right now because I think the fears have been overdone. And then if you want to take a little bit more risk, the other area... Yeah, just, just to stop you there, I mean, obviously, um, you know, that's a, an area, a general area, but um, let's say getting down to the area of individual investors, how can they access that corporate debt? What kind of funds, like what kind of okay. fund, bond funds should they be using to access that? Yes, so, so there's funds that uh, uh, we have on our list. We have the M&G corporate bond fund. We have the Fidelity Strategic Bond Fund, uh, Fidelity Money Builder Fund, Income mm-hmm. Fund, Kane Strategic Bond Fund. Okay. We have the Kane High Yield Fund. Is there any particular area or sector or would you say that um, should it, people looking at just, just plain vanilla corporate bond funds should be looking at strategic bond funds? Should there be, you know, risking a high yield bond fund? Is there any particular type of bond fund that, you know, is the best option for, you know, kind of like um, private investors, you know, yeah, saving private up for investors, time? I mean, I think um, the, uh, say something like the, the strategic bond funds are good at the moment because these mm. managers are building up their holdings in corporate bonds. And I've heard from a few this morning that that's in fact what they're doing. Um, Although liquidity isn't great, Mm. in times of stress, liquidity in the corporate bond market uh, becomes very slim. So uh, even on the buying and on the selling, but definitely um, that's an area that the strategic bond fund managers are finding attractive. And um, the high-yield managers, um, they're already in these stocks, so um, they're, they're, they're good to go. And um, high yield definitely is an interesting place for uh, investors, not only... Presumably for if they have a higher risk appetite, though, because uh, high yield debt is, is a very, very risky area, is it not? Yes, no, this is quite an interesting topic because risk is... Yes, so, yes, let's say high yield risk... Is, is high relative to um, normal bonds and gilts, but probably relative to equities, it's about on par. So if you're prepared to buy income in the equity space, then buying income in the high-yield space has roughly the same risk characteristics about it. But the other thing about it is that there are times when bonds are more risky or investments are more risky than other times in in a market cycle. So I would say that even though uh, investors may say, right, today it's it's quite scary because we've uh, just voted out of the EU and there's a lot of uncertainty, I'll buy gilts. Well, gilts are already um, uh, being priced for... Um, a fair, uh, the fair factor is already priced in. We all we think that um, they're expensive, so um, so they've been um, bought for safety purposes. The high yield and the corporate bonds have been left uh, to hang out to dry to a certain extent, and and actually, to, as of today, the risk is a little bit less than um, than normal to buy, to buy these. Uh, areas. Does that make sense to you? Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Are there any other opportunities mentioned? I mean, banks have um, plummeted, um, but, um, I mean, you know, the post-financial crisis are probably, you know, in a better position than they've been in the past. Would you say that banks or perhaps financials funds are an opportunity? Yes, I think so. Um, I think that 
Yes, so um, I found it actually particularly difficult to find a good financial fund as such. Um, but we know managers who have been starting to add to their banking holdings. And I, uh, Richard Buxton at mm. Old Mutual is one of them. And he sees, sees he before um, this vote, he saw them as very attractive. And uh, so the... And also the other person who uh, is worth mentioning is uh, Alistair Mundy at Investtech, yes. who runs the UK Special Situations Fund. He has uh, filled his boots effectively with um, uh, UK banks. And uh, in his situation, he's bought, the, bought them all because he, he can't differentiate between the idiosyncratic risks of the individual banks. So he's he basically bought the sector as it is. But these banks have come out of a financial crisis. Uh, they're stronger than they, than they were. They're, they're taking less risk. Uh, they will benefit when interest rates go up. And, and I think that agenda has probably moved out a little bit now because of um, the, the, uh, the Brexit vote. But uh, banks are a good long-term investment. And I, I can kind of I, I get the point, and I, I understand it, and I um, would be very... I think these are the types of instruments that investors, uh, funds, oh, sorry, funds and the sector that uh, investors should be looking at, especially for the long term. You know, Lloyd started paying the dividend. Mm. I, I don't see because of this vote that... I, I can't see really what would change, to Okay. Be now, um, another asset that um, people turn to in times of turmoil is gold. Gold's been actually doing quite well because of nervousness um, over, you know, what's going on. Um, is it too late to jump in here? Do you think gold's going to have a good run ahead? Um, and, it, you know, is it going to be a good opportunity for people over the coming days and months? Look, gold, people get very excited about gold and Gold has already jumped about 4% today. But what's really interesting about gold is that it's, it's really only in times like this that uh, people buy it. Mm. So um, the other time that people were buying it was um, in uh, January, February this year, when people were re really worried about um, global growth and oil sells for $28 a barrel. And people, if you remember, were worried about China. Mm. And then since then, gold hasn't done anything much particularly, but it has perked up in, in this month and definitely today on the back of um, the Brexit vote. So, you know, I'm a bit of a skeptic on gold. I find it's a very hard asset class to value. I've, I've, um, and therefore... My view today is that uh, the world isn't ending, and and because of that, I think that there is some optimism and some opportunities out there for the UK, and therefore I think gold's over. You know, I wouldn't be buying gold today. Okay, some really good points. Thank you, Michelle. Now, Kate, um, you've been looking at how investment analysts and wealth managers have been reacting to the news uh, that we're going to leave the European Union. What are they advising um, investors to do? 
Um, I think similar to what Michelle was saying, that the general verdict is just don't don't panic and do anything right now, and particularly don't sell right now, just as, as markets have fallen. Because obviously the, the only way that you actually feel the loss that we've seen is if you sell out now and crystallise it. Mm. So although it does feel very scary and a lot of people will be feeling quite bleak, I'm sure, about um, how their investments look, the, the only thing to do really is just wait and see what happens, wait till the dust has settled. Um, so quite a lot of people, I mean, Andrew Craig at Plain English Finance has gone as far as saying just don't do anything at all. Okay. Um, others are saying actually what you need to think is just don't change anything about what you would normally do. Mm. You know, over the long term, you know, you're meant to invest over cycles. And so you really just need to keep ploughing on as normal um, with a very diversified portfolio and don't make any sudden rash decisions. I mean, ultimately, it takes a very intelligent person to be able to time markets and you know it most of us just shouldn't bother trying to do that Mm. especially if you're saving for a pension i imagine over 30 years yeah um so really the the thing to do is that i mean some people i guess would would say there are opportunities out there now just because of prices Mm. but i think most people are saying wait and see and and don't sell in a kind of rash panic Okay, so stay calm. Mm. Now, um, while it's um, not a good idea to take a knee-jerk reaction to world events, especially if you're a long-term investor, it is generally a good idea to hold funds that are likely to perform well even when markets plummet. Problem is, identifying these funds is a much harder task. But Emma, you've come across a way of identifying funds and managers who might weather harder times better, such as what we're going through now. What's this method? We looked at fund managers who were active during the 2008-2009 financial crisis and who were able to you know, perform better than their benchmarks. And in some cases, some of them actually returned positive returns, even with that you know, incredibly um, bad market. So we looked at fund managers that well in that situation. And we also looked at um, the fund managers that had also managed to maintain good performance at the start of this year when there was a lot of volatility around the commodities sell-off. So we were looking at managers that had a long-term track record and had managed to um, perform well in, in falling markets in those um, two instances. Okay, and... Um who are some of the managers and funds that um, this um, research threw up? Yeah, um, so we had Francis Brook, who's manager of Troy Tro- Trojan Income Fund, um, Nick Train, manager of CF Linzel Train, UK Equity Fund, um, Sebastian Lyon, who's manager of Personal Assets Trust, mm. and um, Anthony Cross and Julian Fosh, who managed Lyon Trust Special Situations. Um, Michelle mentioned Fidelity Strategic Bond. We we also sort of came across them, and that's managed by Ian Spreadbury. Yeah, and um, I think she also mentioned um, Alistair Mundy, mm. who manages the Investec UK Special Situations and the cautious and the, um, co- and yeah, the cautious, cautious managed, managed fund yeah, as well. Yeah, so. um, and Temple Bar Investment Trust. So yes, he's, he's got quite a few. He's yeah. got a few. Yeah. Um, so I mean, those are just some of the managers mm. that that I've picked out, but we did look at over 20 or so. Yeah, which Mm. people can see if they read the article. Now, did these managers have any common attributes? Um, Yes. I mean, what we found from speaking to um, commentators is that a lot of these these funds and the managers um, that run them share a quality sort of defensive bias when they're Mm. choosing companies. And so um, they tend to opt for businesses that are quite um economically robust you you would say to mm. to the to the economic cycle um they've got strong brand, brands in many cases um predictable earnings so for example 
stocks concentrating in pharmaceuticals or tobacco, um, where they've got greater clarity of, of earnings. Mm-hmm. So when there is a downturn in the markets, these are the companies that tend to be a little bit more robust to what's going on. Michelle, um, you spoke to Emma about this and have done some research into this. Um, what kind of managers have you found to fare better during market storms? Okay, so uh, fairly much the same as just what Emma said, actually. I'd written down a list and I was just picking them off as Emma uh, was talking. So uh, the, the interesting thing about these managers um, who weather storms, it tends to be the ones that uh, perhaps don't really outperform when the market's got a lot of upward momentum because, as Emma said, they stick to quality, uh, defensiveness, um, uh, often buying uh, companies that are cheaper than their their asset values, so uh, what I would call value-type mm. companies. So, so those are the sort of ones that have done well. I, I would also highlight some of the income funds uh, that um, fall into that list. So a lot of uh, the funds that have high high yields um, or are seeking high yields, so uh, say Richard Corwell at the uh, Threadneedle UK Income Fund is one that I, I would uh, highlight, but all the others um, as uh, Emma says. Yeah. Now, you mentioned um, that um, these managers um, can lag um, sort of like strongly rising markets. Are there any other risks or potential downsides of um, these particular managers or styles that um, you would like to highlight? Not particularly. I think that, you know, it's all about investors having, uh, knowing what their long-term goals are and, and not getting too greedy and, definitely having uh, a diversified portfolio. So these managers who we've just highlighted uh, tend to, especially somebody like uh, Alistair Mundy, you know, it's in degrees. But some, uh, Alistair mm. Mundy has, is, is quite, his performance is quite cyclical. So when everybody else is feeling very doom and gloomish and like the financial crisis and probably like now, his fund tends to do particularly well. But then he... Still does well, but he doesn't do as well as some of the growth managers in a uh, an upward mar- running yeah. market. Yeah. So um, if the idea is that um, not to expect all your managers or all your funds to be outperforming all the time. Mm. That just doesn't happen. So there are no more risks, I think, in being involved in these sorts of funds than, say, um, the other sorts of funds that neither Emma and I have talked about, but some of the uh, funds that focus a bit more on the growth side of things, um, like, I don't know, Artemis UK Growth or um, uh, well, even Richard Buxton, to be honest, but, and, um, at, and Majedi and uh, some of these other managers that are, uh, are, are more... Oh, BlackRock's another good example, a more growth-focused. You know, they're good to have in your portfolio at the, at, at, as well. Yeah, so... To sum it up, basically, don't have just one kind of style or one kind of manager. Have a, a nice, diverse spread. Yeah. Emma, you um, looked at the risks of following a particular investment style. What would you like to highlight? Um, it's similar to what Michelle mm. just said, really, because, I mean, if you are going to kind of take a punt on any particular style, um, the risk is that when conditions change, actually those kind of approaches won't work as effectively. Yeah. So. 
Um, you know, we saw 2008, start of this year, these quality defensive stocks have worked. But, um, you, know, sort of, you know, in the main. But the issue is that if potentially, you know, um, this Brexit vote, for example, turns out to be very good for the country and, um, and we get a lot of economic growth and suddenly we might have a rotation towards um, economic recovery sort of positions and companies and stocks and funds. And then arguably those qualities, defensive stocks won't have done as well. So there's always the risk that, you know, if things could change. Yeah. Okay. So diversify, diversify, diversify. This year has been quite an unusual one for investment trust industry. In the up until a few days ago, there hadn't been any initial public offerings or IPOs for short. The first time in seven years that the first quarter passed without an offering. But earlier this week, the drought ended with the first investment trust IPO of the year. Kate, can you tell us more about this investment trust launch? Yeah, so this is Hadrian's Wall Secured Investments um, and it raised £80 million, which was short of its original target of £150 million. It's a trust which is going to invest in UK small to medium-sized enterprise commercial loans and those are going to be secured in a range of assets including equipment, plant and machinery, real estate and receivables. Okay, so um, not mainstream, but uh, very much in keeping of a a lot of recent launches and it's got an income focus. Michelle, now that the referendum is out of the way, do you expect there will be more IPOs, both investment trusts and more generally? Yes, I do. And in fact, I do know that there have been some people sitting on the sidelines waiting to launch them. Because we've had an outvote, you know, um, the timing of these may be uh, not as immediate as perhaps they were first thinking. But, um, yes, I do expect some more. OK. Now, there may have not been many investment trust IPOs this year, but there have been lots of exchange-traded fund launches. Kate, are there any particular trends in terms of the exchange-traded fund or ETF launches? Yeah, well, I think we're seeing a real income trend at the moment. And, I mean, it makes sense in a low-rate environment. Obviously, everybody wants income. Um, so we've seen quite a lot of these ETFs coming to market, and particular smart beta. Mm. So these are ETFs weighted by anything other than market cap. And so we're seeing kind of interesting innovation, both in fixed income and equities, and also quite an interesting new focus on quality income, I think. Um, so Lixor had launched a range of quality income ETFs a few years ago, and I feel like now that's really where the push is coming from. And it does make sense because in the bond space, people are worried about bond um, indices being very heavily weighted, obviously, towards the most indebted issuers. That is just how you make up mm. um, a bond index. And people are kind of keen to screen out some of the higher quality payers to reduce the risk. In the equity space, you know, we've seen the over the last year, people being quite worried about dividend cuts and things. So it makes sense that people are trying to look for income which is sustainable and the companies which can keep paying on dividends. And that's, you know, just because yield, obviously, as a figure is, is a bit troublesome in that a high yield obviously could be an indication of high income, but equally could be an indication of a falling share price. So that really, I think for a while, people have been saying you know, quality income is where the innovation needs to come from. And I think we're just starting to see that happen now. OK, and what are some very recent examples of smart beta income ETF launches? Um, so just last week, Wisdom Tree launched two quality income ETFs and they're focused on quality dividend growth. So looking for the you know quality dividend payers of tomorrow rather than looking at, for example, those who have grown dividends a lot in the past. 
and not this month, but also very recently, Lombard Odia have bought out their um, smart beta bond ETFs, which is what I was talking about, about trying to screen out those most indebted issuers and look for the bonds which you know could keep paying out and where there is lower default risk. Okay, some uh, useful additions to portfolios, hopefully, then. Michelle, what do you make of smart beta sustainable dividend ETFs? Are they a good way for investors to get income? Um, yes, they are. They're a good way because one of the, the, the I agree with everything that Emma said, by the way, but um, one of the things about the ETFs is that you get more holdings within an ETF. So uh, active managers, for example, who, who are trying to do the same thing tend to hold less stocks. Uh, the other thing is that the ETFs are cheaper, much cheaper, and uh, than an active fund, and and so that makes them very attractive as well. Okay, some useful ideas. Thank you, Michelle and Kate. That brings us to the end of this week's personal finance podcast. So it just remains to thank Kate Bealey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor, Emma Ajimang, Personal Finance Writer, and Michelle McGrade, Chief Investment Officer at TD Direct Investing. You can read more about resilient managers and funds, investment trust launches, and sustainable income ETFs in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle and the website. Thank you for listening. 